0: Would you open your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be reading today from verse 8 through verse 12 in a series that we started last week entitled, Being God's People. And you might remember that we talked about the fact that too often we give in to the temptation. To believe that, that the items that are essentially accessories to church life are the church. So, so we think that building is the church. Or the church's programs and activities are the church. And we can even think that the, the community itself of believers is in a loose way the church without really being committed to be God's people. And yet, that's not how Scripture teaches us to think of the reality of what the church is. The church is a, a grouping of people, an assembly of people that have been gathered in God's name, and all of them have been transformed by His grace in order to live out the reality of the good news. With that in mind, Let's read from 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is God's holy, inerrant, eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. As we think about this idea of what it means to be God's people, you can see on the screen these six icons, and you might remember what they are, but if not, we're going to do a little refreshment here, right? Reminder that when Peter defined the church, he talked about us as God's children, his progeny, right? And he said to us that we are royal people because we're children of the king. That makes us into princesses and princes, right? And then he said, we are not just royal kingly type people or queenly type people, but we are part of a royal priesthood. That God has made us in this world to be his representatives, to call people to encounter the living God and to represent that God to the world around them. That's what it means to be a priest. And then we talked about how we're called to be prophets, speaking the truth of the good news into a broken and dying world. We talked about how we are purchased by God's love to be his people. And that has changed us into pilgrims in this world. We we realize this world is not our final destination. It's not our home, and we don't live like it is. Now, if those things are true, and Peter says that's who the church is, then what is the church's calling? Now, Peter had a long time to think about this. We believe this book was written probably 30 years after his public ministry began. In other words, after Jesus died and was resurrected and raised from the grave and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, about 30 years later, Peter, as a much older man, is writing this book to the people of God who are scattered throughout the Mediterranean world. And if he were to tell you, hey, Do you know the calling of God on your life? Some of us might say, well, I I don't know what that calling is. And we might think of, you know, a particularity of calling. In other words, who does God want me to be? But we can do that in a way that's very individualistic and very much that can almost end up being self-centered because we forget that all of us as the people of God both Separately and together, that we have in fact a calling. Now, that calling has an aim, and that calling includes a work, and that calling includes a promise. And that's what we read in the text that we just read all together. That Peter's going to explain to us what our calling as the church is, where we aim that calling what the work is that's involved in that calling and what are the promises for that calling. Let's talk about what the calling of God's people looks like. You may have missed this. It's right there in the middle of a sentence, right in the middle there of verse 9. Peter says, "bless for to this you were called." Did you guys miss that when we went through it the first time? You know, as a pastor, people will say sometimes to me, well, tell me about your calling. And they're talking about the the vocational call into ministry. And to be honest, I, I have some squirmy feelings about that because I think all believers are called into ministry and we have different roles within the church that we might fulfill And what people mean, I think, is when when did you sense that God was leading you into leadership roles or teaching roles within the church? But all of us as believers are called into ministry. And the ministry that Peter explains to us that we have is to bless the world, to bless the world. And this should not be a shock to us because Peter's been thinking about this very topic for 30 years. He's been thinking about Abraham's calling. And do you guys remember when we studied Genesis just a few months ago, what Abraham's calling was? The little kids even made up a song. But to remind us, let's take a look at this passage right here. Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, remind yourself of the context here. Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave all your prior gods and idols behind. I'm going to send you to a land that you don't know and I'm going to bless you. But Abraham... I'm not blessing you for you. I'm blessing you to be a blessing to the world. And that calling that God gave Abraham is the calling of Jesus Christ to his church. It's the same calling. God is going to bless us in the same way that he blessed Abraham. He calls us to a relationship with himself by his grace. Now, Abraham didn't understand the cross was yet to come. We look back at the cross and understand the moment when God's blessing became most real, most manifest. But both of us are looking towards this pivotal moment, this inflection point in history when that blessing of God became so real. Now, how do I know that Peter's been thinking about this for 30 years? What if I told you that Peter actually preached about this in his second recorded sermon? He did. 30 years before, Peter preached about this same topic. So, you know, whenever people say, Pastor, can't you come up with new material? I'm just going to say, listen, Peter preached the same thing for 30 years. So, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about it, right? Uh <laughs> For 30 years, Peter couldn't get over something that happened. And that was this, that that Peter understood that the church picked up the reality of God's blessing and thereby became the agents of God's blessing to the world. Now, let's take a look at that sermon. Go to Acts chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles open, you can go there. Peter is preaching this second recorded sermon of his. Uh, Peter, I think, always just got shoved to the front because the other guys maybe didn't want to preach or something. So they're like, hey, Peter, you better say something. So he did, you know. But Peter is preaching out what comes out led by the Holy Spirit and what's on his heart and mind. And Peter's message is this in four points, okay? Here's Peter's first point of of his second sermon. It is that God has sent his son Jesus into our world, but we, the world, rejected and killed him. So if you go to Acts 3, verses 13 through 15, that's what you read. He says, the God of Abraham, notice where his sermon starts here. He's tying it into the reality of the blessing. Remember Genesis 12? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, the God who blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But... You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Peter's first point is God blessed the world by answering every promise he had ever made about the Messiah and he sent the author of life himself into this world on your behalf and you killed him. That's what you did With God's greatest blessing. But, Peter's point number two, this was all part of God's plan. It turns out that no matter how evil man is, God always has an overarching and bigger plan. So Peter goes on to say in verse 18 But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled You did it. But God had already told you it was going to happen through all the prophets. When he sent his Messiah into this world, God said, this is what's going to happen. And God had a plan, and that plan was bigger and better than any of our plans for seeking a blessing. Peter's point number three is this, that God did this in order to bring the blessing of Abraham to you and me. Through grace, See, up to this point, the children of God, the priests of God, the princes and princesses of God, the prophets of God, the purchased people of God all belonged to a physical lineage but traced back to one dude, Abraham, right? The children of the promise. You and I were not part of that. But God's plan was bigger. So Peter goes on to say, guess what? This plan was bigger than we knew as the Jewish people. He says, you, you Jewish people that I'm preaching to, you are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. And he said to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Did you catch that? He just quoted Genesis 12 too. That's how I know Peter's been preaching this for 30 years. (laughs) right? And he uses the same language when he writes his epistle. And so he says, listen, let me tell you, remind you, you were supposed to be a blessing to the world. And God's plan was bigger. When you rejected the author of life, guess what? God's plan was to make that promise to Abraham come true. That all the world would be blessed by God sending his servant. So he goes on to say, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. God resurrected his son. He's not dead. And he sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Just stop for a second. Catch what Peter just said. If you said, that person's really blessed, what would you picture? Healthy marriage? healthy body, maybe material possessions. Maybe they're, they've got everything you've ever dreamed of. They fly around on private jets and live in big homes and, and stuff. And, and in and of themselves, any one of those things is not necessarily evil. But if that person who has all of that wealth, all of that health, all of those good things dies and goes to hell, is that person blessed? What if you were born, raised, labored, and die on a garbage heap outside of Lagos, Nigeria? But in the process, you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, come to believe in Him, and live forever with the King who pours forth for all eternity all goodness and power. Who's blessed? Do you catch that? Peter says, God sent his son to bless you by turning you from your sin, from your wickedness, from the way that you were living, which is apart from God. And he did that in order to make you a blessing to the earth and to do it in a bigger way, because notice he said he did it; He sent hint them Jesus to you first, And even at this moment, Peter doesn't even know what he's forecasting because Peter's going to have to have a divine revelation from God in order to understand that now the blessing of God has come to all the Gentiles, to all the world. So he's really preaching even ahead of himself when he says point number four. That blessing is available to everyone who will repent and believe in Jesus. So he goes on in verses 19, 20, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back to God so that your sins may be blotted out, your sins won't be counted against you, that times of refreshing and renewal will come from the presence of the Lord and that he will send Jesus back for you to bring you into his presence. So, for 30 years... Peter's been working to understand this message and understand the reality that what God promised Abraham came true through Jesus, and it wasn't just true for the Jewish people, but for all the people of the earth who would repent and believe on Jesus. We can all become God's purchased people, God's children, God's princesses and princes, God's priests, God's prophets, and God's pilgrims here on earth, all right? And then he says, remember, your calling is to bless. What are you to do tomorrow morning? Bless somebody. Now, what does it mean to bless? We should answer that question before we go any farther, right? So, what does it mean to bless? To bless someone historically meant that you spoke God's favor or grace over someone. That's the common biblical connotation when... Jacob calls his sons to him and speaks a blessing over them. He's saying, this is what God is going to do into your life. He's going to invoke God's blessing or goodness upon that. But the Bible uses the word bless in that way, but also in another way. It means to bring God's goodness into somebody's life. To actually bring God's grace into a person's life. And that's the context that Peter's saying, I don't want you just to to talk good things or prophesy good things. I want you to do good things in and for other people so that they encounter the grace that you have experienced. We bless because we have been blessed. So how do we bless? We bless in the same way that we have been blessed. What's the blessing that you've been given from Jesus Christ? Your sins have not been counted against you. God has given you unprecedented favor and goodness and each and every day he blesses us with bountiful blessings from the food that we eat to the air that we breathe to the homes that we live in and we don't deserve any of that. And the beauty and majesty and glory of all things throughout this earth that God gives us to enjoy, all good things, those are all blessings, right? So if you and I have been gifted with that, our calling is to take all that god has given us and bless it to other people that's what it means to bless somebody so if that is our calling that peter gives us what is the aim who do we bless right who do we bless well genesis 12:3 said this in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed right Notice that's a really big category. Who am I to bless? Everyone. Everyone. You say, everyone? Really? What about my enemies? What about my enemies? I'm so glad you asked. Peter has an answer for you. In fact, the very context of what he's specifically talking about, is to a persecuted church that is suffering regular attacks from their enemies. And he says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. When someone tries to oppress you, bless them. When someone speaks slanderously about you, bless them. Do good unto those people who are doing evil. I love an illustration I came across while I was studying for this uh, in a wonderful commentary on First Peter. Um, and, the, and the author recounts this story they had heard from a church member of theirs about when he was in the military And how he had been rejected by his his unit in many ways because he was a Christian and he was speaking out the truth and the goodness of the gospel to the people in his unit. And there were a lot of sort of militant unbelievers in that unit and they treated him terribly. They abused him in many different ways and made his life really, really terrible. And day after day, his calling was to find ways to bless these people. And then one day, one of the ways that they were were reviling him or treating him badly was that as he was getting ready for bed, these soldiers had these really muddy boots, and they chucked them and hit him in the head with these boots. Just because they could. Well, the next day, when that soldier who threw the boots woke up, His boots were at the end of his bed, cleaned and polished. Through that, God began to change that man's heart and the heart of the other men in the unit. What did the Christian do in that situation? He blessed the person who did evil to him. Folks, I want you to understand, there is a movement. This is not a theory. There was literally a book published this week in which people are taking pictures of this book with guns and talking about Christians taking over America. We follow the way of the cross, not the way of the sword. It is not our job to be in charge of the world. It is our job to bless those who hate us, who revile us, who curse us, us. Anything other than that is simply unbiblical. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. That's Jesus. And he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Does that seem ambiguous? <laughs> Do good to them. To those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And as soon as you start to say, but Jesus didn't understand how hard it is in America in the 22nd century. Folks, he said this as the man who's going to be sped upon, mocked, brutally beaten, tortured to death, and hung on a tree. And he's going to tell all of his disciples, that's what's going to happen to you too. And blessed are you if they persecute you. Right? So we're to bless our enemies, but we're also to bless one another within the church. Peter's gonna make this point in multiple places in his two epistles. And Just go to 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 23. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. That means with effort. (laughs) Not just with good intentions, with effort, with expense, with sacrifice. Love one another earnestly from a pure or an undivided heart. Why? He says, since you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says, if you call yourself a Christian, you have literally been given a new life. Don't act like the person you used to be. You don't get to treat people the way you want to in your flesh because you have a new person indwelling you and you love your brothers and sisters. Whether or not you like them, whether or not they are like you is irrelevant, Love them earnestly, with a sincere heart. Do it with effort. And so we're to bless our enemies, we're to bless our brothers and sisters of Christ. Surely that's not enough because, remember, the calling was to bless all nations at all times. And so Peter goes on to say, bless the unbelievers, the people who don't follow Jesus, Notice how he talks to the church about that in his second epistle. 2 Peter 3, 9, he says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Okay, there's God's blessing to you. And then he says, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that everyone should reach the same repentance that you have reached. We are called to be a blessing because God is in the business of blessing unbelievers and bringing them into saving grace and into saving relationship with God. So if our calling is to bless and our aim is everyone, (laughs) everywhere, at all times, specifically our enemies, our fellow believers and unbelievers then what does blessing look like in concrete ways? And once again, I'm so glad you guys asked these wonderful questions. What is the work of blessing look like? What The work of God's people? How do we engage the reality of blessing? Well, fortunately, God's word is always sufficient. And Peter says, bless with your speech, with what comes out of your mouth. First Peter, chapter three, verse 10, Right in the heart of our passage, he puts it negatively in the sense that he says, here's some things not to do with your mouth. You want to desire, you, whoever desires to love life and see good days, do you, do you want to love the life that God has given you and see all of God's blessing? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now that's sort of a negative way to think of it. Stop talking bad about others. Stop complaining. Stop slandering. Tell the truth about yourself. Keep yourself from evil speech. Positively, the Apostle Paul would put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He would say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. There's the negative part. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What I want you to see is Peter is not alone in saying, we bless people with our mouths by giving them grace. Now think about that. If somebody does something nice for you, and you are nice back to them verbally, that's just being polite. Grace is is when they don't deserve what you say. And when you lead them to encounter the grace of God, Now you're in the process of building them up and shaping them towards the image of Jesus Christ. So Peter absolutely is calling us to bless with our speech. Who who does God want you to bless with your mouth this week, to speak a word of grace and kindness and encouragement over? Maybe it's somebody who, who hasn't been very nice to you or who ignores you or who's indifferent to you. Can you bless them with your speech? Well, Peter also says that we are to bless with our attitudes. My remote's being a little wonky today here, so just go ahead and pull that up. Bless with our attitude here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. It's one of those lists that's so easy just to go right past. But just stop for a second. Don't, don't rush past this. What would it take for you to be united in mind with brothers and sisters in Christ? You'd have to listen to them. You'd have to understand what they're actually saying. You'd have to believe not what you think their intentions are, but what they say their intentions are. Right? What would it mean for you to be sympathetic, to enter into the passion of someone else? It means you have to be willing to feel what they are feeling, or at least understand what it is they are feeling. Brotherly love, what does it mean to view someone, say, even if I don't agree with you, even if I don't always like you, you are family. (laughs) You're family. And we are bound together as the family of God. A tender heart, not to be hard hearted, harsh, judgmental, condemning, but to have an attitude that is tender and sympathetic and open to what is happening in other people's lives. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm so often tempted to jump past what a person is feeling and processing through and give them advice. Instead of entering in with my heart and saying, hey, I first want to hear where you are at. Tell me what's going on inside you, right? And then he goes on to say, with a humble mind. <laughs> Why mind? Why humble together? Is it, is it true for a lot of us that maybe we think we always know better than other, everybody else? <laughs> that our opinion is the correct one? that our perspective on a situation is the only right perspective? Do you see a lack of humility in all of that? So when Peter says, Bless with your attitude,' He means all of these things, right? When he's calling us to recognize that reality, when, right before he says bless somebody, he says this is the attitude you should have towards your fellow believers. Okay, so then he also says bless with your holiness. Bless with your holiness. In verse 11, he says turn away from evil. If you want to see God's blessing, turn away from evil, Be different from the world. Don't be driven by your flesh. Don't give in to the temptations of Satan. Now, Peter's already made this point in chapter one of 1 Peter when he said this, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In other words, be like your heavenly father. Be different from the world around you. Be peculiar in your values. Be peculiar in what you you allow yourself to say and do and where you go. Be like God. That's the calling of every believer, to bless the world by being different. Now, here's how that might work. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? Salt is a preservative in order to keep meat in those days, to keep meat from being corrupted or spoiled. They would salt the meat, sort of like we might do with a jerky or with a a smoked fish of some kind. Jesus is saying, but what happens if you destroy the capability of salt not only to preserve but to give the world flavor, it's useless. Christians, you are here through your holiness to preserve the world from actually falling apart. And you're to bring the flavor of God into the mouths of the world. You should taste like Jesus in your interactions. He goes on to say you're the light of the world, which light is really necessary when the world is dark. Some people say, oh, we're really entering into a dark age in human history and I don't really know how dark this age is going to become, but I will tell you this, the darkness never overcomes the light. And the church is called to be the light of the world. We bless the world by being salt and light, by being holy. Now, Peter... Digs down even more. He calls us to bless with our works and with our generosity. If you read the second part of verse 11, he says, and do good, and do good. You want to bless the world? Do good. You know, Micah says, what does God require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? It's very similar. Do that which is good in the cases, in the situations, in the neighborhoods that God puts you in. He says, let him seek peace and pursue it. That doesn't mean internal emotional peace primarily. He means relational wholeness and the good of other people. Peter's saying, go out there and try and bless other people and bring them into whole relationship with the living God. Do that by doing good. And you know what you find whenever you go see the early church, which had Peter as one of their pastors? Right about the time he preached that sermon that we just studied from in in Acts chapter 3, this is what the early church was described as. All who believed were together they had all things in common. In other words, it's not, not my car, not my living room, not my bank account. It's the church's. It's God's. We share these things. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they distributed the proceeds to any as they had need. The church was radically generous with all that they had been given. So they blessed with works and with generosity, and they went about doing that which was good. Peter also points out that we're to bless with our hospitality and with our fellowship. Now, hospitality is not simply what we do when we invite somebody over to our house, although that's an expression of hospitality. The word hospitality in Greek means to love the stranger or somebody who's different from you. And often that means that we enter into times of deliberately taking meals together with those people and bringing them into our home and treating them like family, even though they aren't family, right? And this is the calling of the church, to practice that kind of hospitality and to express beautiful fellowship. So if you go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, what do you find? Peter's saying this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't you love it? And Peter's such a pastor. He knows his people. He's like, yeah, you guys are doing it, but you're complaining the whole time, <laughs> right? You're serving one another, but all you're doing is whining. He's like, do that without the whining, without the complaining, <coughs> without all of that verbal nonsense. And what do you see in the early church? Them doing this very thing. Go to Acts 2.42. They, the church, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gathered around God's word, to the koinonia or the fellowship of the saints. They broke bread, that's going to the Lord's table, and eating meals together, and prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together, they, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In other words, the early church lived in a mode of constant hospitality and fellowship. That's why the author of Hebrews, when he's speaking out to the Jewish people that have been scattered roughly, maybe at the same time that Peter's speaking, he says this, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, right? As is the habit of some. But what are you supposed to be doing each and every day? Encouraging one another. And all the more, the closer you see the coming of Jesus to be. Well, if Jesus was close in coming 2,000 years ago, he's 2,000 years closer to coming today, right? Right? So we should be doing this more, more than they were doing, not less, more. Sometimes people look back at the early church and they go, well, they were, they were, you know, that was the early days of the church. They weren't cynical and old and hard-hearted like us. Well, yes, that's true. They probably weren't hard-hearted like us. Folks, Jesus is closer now than he was then we should be exemplifying the reality of this radical hospitality and fellowship more than the early church because Jesus is closer. We're to bless with our gospel witness. Peter makes this really, really clear in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And he says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, as, as holy, always being prepared, now, I just stop for just a second. He did not say sometimes when you feel like it, when you're in a really good or really spiritual mood, when you're caught up on your devotions. Always being prepared to make a defense. And, and that's maybe a little bit of a, of a misnomer Uh, The word doesn't mean primarily to defend yourself like against an attack. It means to offer a rational, reasoned-out argument, an apologia. Be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do unbelievers ask you, why do you get up tomorrow morning? Why do you live? There, you know, the world has a hope of, of a healthy family or a good job or a great success in, in, in something or, or, you know, lifelong vacation in, in, you know, Fiji or something. That's the world's hope. Do you have a different hope that's identifiable to the world Such that people come to you and go, I don't know what it is about your life, but you don't hope in the same things that I hope in. That's how believers ought to be living. And Peter says, you've got to be ready to tell them the good news of Jesus, what your hope actually is. And notice the tone there, back to attitude. Not with anger, pettiness. Oh yeah, let me tell you how amazing Christians are. There is a nasty attitude going around through a huge segment of the evangelical church in America today and it is contrary to God's word. It is not gentle and it is not respectful. And folks, I don't care if they respect you. Peter didn't say respect them if they respect you. He didn't say be gentle to them if they've been gentle to you. Unbelievers are going to be unbelievers. Expect them to not be gentle or kind to you. You are expected by God to be gentle and kind to them and respectful to them. Bless. Bless them with your witness. And then we could kind of summarize this maybe practically in, in, in a way, and I just want to quickly walk you through this. This is, this is not primarily for First Peter, but it's a strategy, a rhythm, a practice of living that encompasses a lot of these elements that I've just been talking about. And we are encouraging all of you to think about what it would live to live in a way that blesses the world consistently and intentionally. And you could use each of those letters in, in the word BLESS as an acronym Right? To bless someone, to serve and do good to others. What if every week you said, This week I'm going to find someone that doesn't deserve something good and I'm going to bring something good, something of God into their life? I'm going to bless them. What if you said, I'm going to listen? with humility and learn from people who are different from me. I'm going to engage them with that respect and that gentleness that we were just talking about. I'm going to practice real humility intentionally. What if you were to practice hospitality and fellowship by committing yourself to not isolate yourself in the castles of your home or your apartment, but rather you are going to, in fact, intentionally eat with people who are different from you and who have different perspectives than you on a lot of different issues. And then what if you were to speak the gospel in good news to to fellow believers, to encourage them and to lost people in order to share good news with them? And what if you were to do it without a sense of constant work and burden, but to do it with a spirit of Sabbath upon you? Resting in God, abiding in his grace, knowing that he empowers you to do this as you pursue intimate relationship with him. If those things were true, might you and I be a blessing to this world? Wouldn't we be doing the things that Peter has just been talking about? And what would it be like for a church to intentionally say, here's what we exist for. We exist to to bless the world. Because we've been blessed by the grace of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the calling, the aim, and the work Let's talk about what the promises are. Because here's the thing the Bible never shorts us, folks. Jesus never shorts us. He never says, I want you to suffer endlessly. Folks, that's hell. That's hell. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to suffer because it's good for you. (laughs) Not in that sense. But if we are to suffer for righteousness' sake or for God's sake, it's because we have greater promises than what this world can offer. We are pilgrims, right? And Peter brings those promises together. Now, in one sense, I want to make sure that we're very clear on this. In one sense, every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ has already received God's blessings as his saved children. In other words, there's not necessarily more for you to have because you have already come into relationship with God. You have become his son and daughter. You are his progeny. So, Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, would say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that's a past tense sense. He's saying, you've already been given every blessing that God is ever going to give you. It's actually all in your spiritual bank account. It's actually all there. You say, well, then why doesn't it feel like that? Well, once again, you guys ask such brilliant questions, right? Because we don't get to experience the reality of those blessings because we disconnect ourselves from our Father God through our sinful, selfish, self-centered behavior and run off away from Him, or we try to earn those blessings through being spiritually good instead of just accessing them in relationship to Him. In other words... The blessings that we have in our spiritual bank account are ours to spend and live in now and forever, but they are contingent. Our access to it depends in reality on whether or not we're blessing other people. In other words, our Father gave us this in order to be a blessing. Now, here's the way I want you to think about this. If I said to you, hey, good news, I set up a bank account in your name. And in that bank account is $10 million. Here's the bank book, here's the register, it's got $10 million. And when, by the way, when you empty that bank account of its $10 million, you're gonna find there's another $10 million in there. But here's the condition you can't spend any of it on yourself. You got $10 million. Go spend it on the world. And when you've done that, there's 10 million more. Peter says something very, very much like that. Look in verse 9. Bless, for to this you were called... That you may obtain a blessing. In other words, he's saying, listen, there are greater and greater depths of God's blessing and goodness for you to experience. And the only way you're going to experience those greater and greater depths of God's goodness and blessing is for you to get off your rears and start blessing the world. As long as you're trying to spend it on yourself, you're not going to be living in the blessing that God has for you. And yes, that includes God's provision realities, that God is in the business of blessing us with all that we need. Peter says this in chapter 4 verse, or, uh, chapter four, verse 10, he says, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, in a few weeks' time, Pastor Barnum's gonna be here. He's gonna be preaching on this particular passage. Uh, and uh, we're super excited about that. And primarily, Peter is talking about the gifts that, that we use in our uh, interpersonal relationships the gifts of service and, and uh, speaking the gospel to one another and helping one another within the church. But just think about it in a bigger context for just a second. Peter says, as you have received a gift from God, do what with it? Use it to serve. Is that what you do? Or could you be missing out on God's blessings? Now, a few years back, a very generous donor to our church came to me and said, Pastor, I don't understand. My whole life, My investments have done really well. I'm just good at investing. But three years ago, something happened. All of my investments skyrocketed. And he says, and I can't explain it. It's not me. I can't explain it. I said, you know what you started doing three years ago? you started giving radically and generously to God's church. And I knew that about him. And I said, so why are you surprised? Now, you have a gift of managing money. Not all of us have those gifts. But do do you catch what the lesson here is? As he was taking a gift that he had of using money and then blessing God's people and the world with that money, what did God do? God multiplied that reality. We are to take what God has given us, folks, in different areas of our life, different ones of us, as God provides, and we are to bless others and trust that we won't run out, that God will provide more for there to be. The blessing isn't just of provision, but of assurance. What happens if I suffer? What happens if something bad happens to me? What happens What happens if, what happens if, what happens if? You want assurance? Here's the assurance. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What happens if you do the right things and you have bad outcomes? That happens. Sometimes you tell the truth at work and you are the one who gets fired. Sometimes you make the right choices in ministry and the ministry falls apart. Sometimes you can choose to do any of God's good things, and you may be very kind to someone who's, who's very unkind to you, and they may just decide to beat you more. <laughs> don't develop a mentality that says the blessing isn't there. God says, listen, you can't out-bless me. And even if you do the right things and you don't have the outcomes that you want, I can make you this promise, God says, there's a greater blessing ahead. Paul would put it this way uh, to, in one of his epistles, he would say, this, "This temporary, light, momentary suffering is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. You can have an assurance, even in your suffering, that there is a blessing ahead. And then there's the blessing of intimacy with God right now. First Peter chapter three, verse 12. Says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Did you catch that? Who is God listening to? Whose life is he looking at? There is a peculiar blessing of intimacy with God for those who are walking in obedience to him and seeking to be a blessing. To the world. You want your prayers answered? Maybe lift your prayers off of yourself and start praying for the world. You want to know that you are close to the living God. Be like Him, thinking not of yourself, but sacrificing yourself that the world may be blessed you enter into what Paul calls the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. There's a fellowship with Jesus that you only can find when you suffer for him and with him. You know, in the Old Testament, we have heard so often the story of Ruth, who says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, no, I won't go back Where you go, I go. Your God, my God. And it sounds so noble. But we forget the context. She was signing her death warrant. Naomi was going back to a place where she had no food, no land, and she Ruth was going as a Moabitess to be a person who would be excluded from the fellowship of God's people. That was the only thing she was guaranteed. But she says, you go, I go. She entered into the fellowship of sharing in her mother-in-law's suffering. How much more should we enter into the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus Christ with the expectation of blessing? God had far greater blessings for Ruth. She would enter into the line of his chosen son. (laughs) But that's not what Ruth knew in the moment, is it? She was making a choice to walk with God's people and trusting that God would be the one who would make it work out in the end. And that leads us to this. There is a blessing of eternal intimacy and reward that is found in God's people when we seek to be a blessing to the world. If you flip in your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter puts it this way. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, not lazy, Be diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, and I think uh, we're going to have a message on this coming up uh, on the qualities he's talking about growing in our spiritual faith. He says, you practice them, you will never fall for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a blessing that comes to people who've said, I've been blessed by God's grace. I'm now blessing the world with the anticipation that I will be granted an entrance into the kingdom of God. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for eternity. And that changes everything that we do each and every day. Then Peter says this, by the way, to spiritual leaders in the church. And there... He says, when the chief shepherd returns, you will receive your unfading crown of glory. Folks, there are far greater blessings ahead of us than have ever been behind us if we will set our aim and our calling to bless this world. I'm inviting you to believe that. The blessings are ahead. So let's get our eyes there. Let's focus and choose to be the blessing that God's called us to be. Let's pray. Father God, take now these imperfect and broken and often weak words. Do something that we've been talking about. Bless us. Bless us in our inmost beings with Renewed faith with the, the blessing of conviction, where we need that. Where we need comfort, bring the blessing of comfort and healing. Where we need the blessing of assurance that there are far greater blessings ahead, remind us of those truths. We ask that you would do all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, for your glory. Make us into those people who bless the world. We ask this in his name. Amen.